Chapter 27 So it was time to say goodbye to Polydor. John remembered reading that in the last financial year Polydor had lost eight million pounds. And, since he felt responsible for a bit of it, wondered what he could do to help. Why don't we do a benefit concert for them? John asked Morris. I mean, they helped us out and got me a hit record. It would be nice to do something for them. Surprisingly, everyone, apart from Polydor themselves, agreed that it would be nice. And the venue in Victoria was chosen as the place to stage this event. Funny that, said John. The venue was owned by Virgin Records. And they were quite happy to stage a benefit for a rival company. In fact, lots of other companies helped out. Morris got many of them to donate records to raffle off on the night. Stiff Records had a house band, a group whose members were stiff employees, called the Stiff All-Stars. They said they would love to donate an evening's performance in aid of another company who had lost so much money. Polydor's greatest success over the past couple of years had been with the Bee Gees after Saturday Night Fever. At this time, a band called the Heebie-Jeebies had a hit, meaningless songs in very high voices, which owed much to the Bee Gees' phenomenon. They had much to thank Polydor for too, and they would help out. As mentioned before, the chaps on the executive floor of the Polydor building did not seem as enthusiastic about this magnanimous gesture as everyone else. Even though the managing director of the corporation was invited to the event and was promised the venue's equivalent of the Royal Box, the kind offer was politely declined. On the lower floors of the building, where no one seemed quite as concerned about head office in Hamburg finding out, the response was much more encouraging. Many a Polydor minion took the offer of a free ticket to the concert in aid of their company, and the two tables at the front of the stage were reserved for them. After the tent tour, Willie's latest racing car guitar, the biggest, fastest and ugliest version of the instrument so far, had been left at the Polydor office. In fact, in the office of one, Dennis Monday. Otway, Dennis moaned, when are you going to remove that damn instrument from my office? I keep tripping over it, which is painful, as there's sharp bits of angle iron sticking out of its chassis. It's been there a month, and you're not even on Polydor anymore. Uh, um, well, we're going to raffle it off at the benefit, Otway said quickly. Two days before the event, John was told that four employees had got together and formed a Polydor house band, especially for the concert, and they were calling themselves Polydor and the Benny Fitz. On the night of the concert, the venue was packed. There was a large cardboard thermometer on the stage with Polython in large letters underneath. The red bit in the middle of this thermometer rose through the evening as money was donated to the company. Otway and Barrett walked on stage to thank everyone for coming in support of such a good cause and introduced the first band. The two Polydor tables were packed. Wow, said John. More Polydor people have turned up tonight than ever did when we were with the company. Those seated at those tables were well looked after. As well as free admission, they were given free raffle tickets and some free wine. The audience applauded wildly as Willie pointed them from the stage and said, These people at these tables here 
are the reason we have all gathered here tonight. One of the evening's highlights was the auction. I have here, said Willie, a box of 25 records, kindly donated by CBS. They are the song that came third in the battle for the UK entry for the Eurovision Song Contest. Do I hear 50 pence? With these and similar donated records, £10 was added to the polython. One of the surprises of the raffle was that it was won by Dennis Monday from Polydor, who did very well with his free ticket and won the racing car guitar. Mr Monday can pick his prize up from his own office on Monday morning, announced Willie. And by the end of the night, the red bit in the middle of the thermometer had risen to £1,300. A week or so later, at a Polydor conference, Otway and Barrett arrived with a violin case stuffed with £1,300 notes and presented it to Tony Morris, the managing director. It would appear that head office in Hamburg had not got to hear of the benefit concert. On receiving the money, he gave a speech. I would like to thank Messrs Otway and Barrett, he said, and I would like to see more and more of our acts donating money they get from their live performances to us. Whether he meant this or not, no one knows, as no other act has ever done anything similar since. Having another hit, even one that got as far as 45, did have some advantages. One of them being that mild attention was paid to them by other record companies. After short negotiations, this attention was quickly reduced to one record company, Stiff Records. Stiff was a company whose success had largely been built on getting hit records for oddballs. They were also expanding into the American market and starting Stiff America label. Perfect, says Otway. Perfect, agreed Morris. And Stiff were happy too. So Otway had got essentially what he felt he needed, an American deal. So we can now go and crack America properly, Otway said to Barrett. Sod off, said Barrett. You lost a fortune trying to do that last year. I'm not going. Willie is not interested in international stardom, John complained to Morris. And, after a lot more arguments, John and Willie split up yet again, and John prepared for his first mega-tour of the States. John would spend six of the next twelve months in the States, trying more and more desperately and more and more expensively to get the continent under his belt. During this period, John and Willie would get together and split up a further three times. John would hardly ever be home during this year of touring, and by the end of it, he and Cathy would have drifted apart and split up. The American tours were incredibly tough, with thousands of miles covered by the Otway band in a van. They had a heat wave over there, said John, in which a lot of people died. That was the summer we had to cross the Arizona desert twice in a wretched van with no air conditioning. Otway's chain audience theory was also eventually disproved over this period, as Mark Freeman, his drummer, vividly recalls. Yep, we'd get into this van, drive all day for 13 hours, spend the night in a cheap motel, travel to the show for the following night for another eight hours, and then play to 50 people in some Midwestern city. 
Wow, that went down a storm, John would say. Next time we go, the place will be packed. And so we do that whole trip again and go down a storm to the same 50 people. It was a bit easier with Stiff putting records out over there, but not a lot. Stiff had just started their American operation. Their methods of promoting and marketing, which worked so well in the UK, did not work as well in the USA. They did do a repeat of Live in Your Apartment promotion, and John managed to get onto the 6 o'clock news in New York, singing in someone's front room. But they were miles away from real fame, though, and always time over there was spent getting only a splattering of fans dotted around that continent. After ten weeks of this, the Otway band returned, tired and poorer. And Steve Bolton, John's guitarist for the tour, left and joined Paul Young's band. On a day off in Minneapolis, Otway had booked a studio and recorded a live version of Green Green Grass of Home that had been going down so well in the shows. Stiff liked the recording as it captured the lunacy of the Otway show without sounding too bad and released it. For the cover of this single, Stiff took the Tom Jones cover, crossed out his name and replaced it with John Otway. Similarly, they stuck John's face over Tom's, so that the grinning Otway head was perched on top of the Jones's body. Times had changed. The old punk music had developed and was now known as New Wave. This was simply because bands that had succeeded because they played badly had improved. Otway had succeeded because he played badly, but hadn't improved at all. And as we all know, Green Green Grass of Home was not the sort of hit for John as it had been for Tom. Morris got John together with Chris Burkett, a friend of his who had been in Love Affair. As well as being a pretty neat guitarist, he worked as an engineer in a studio. He was a talented chap, and he and Otway got together and wrote Otway's next batch of songs, including Middle of Winter, Too Much Air, Not Enough Oxygen, and Turning Point. Turning Point was a catchy, poppy little song, engineered by Chris, and released as the next stiff single. But yet again, no hit. John did get back on top of the pops again, though. Jonah Louie had just got his Stop the Cavalry song in the charts. And as they had no band to mime to the song, Stiff made up one out of whoever they could get. It was another chance to get on telly, so what way was eager? That was great, said John. When we got to the TV centre, we were told we could pick whatever instruments we fancied to mime with. I picked the drums because I reckoned I could pose the most with those. Mind you, Jonah kept telling me off because I'd occasionally hit one by an accident and when I did, it was always out of time and he said that put him off. Two flops, and it was back with Barrett again. Sadly, just after Willie had run out of money and sold his studio, so there was nowhere for them to go and try out more recording. They did put together an interesting show called The Band Behind the Curtain. Willie and John played in front of a large screen with the rest of the band behind. By using different coloured lights at different heights behind the band, Musicians could be featured in coloured silhouettes during the numbers. It worked really nicely, but it was quite a costly show to do and far too expensive to take to America, which is what Otway wanted to do. And Barrett 
certainly didn't. Christ, that guy's difficult to work with, said Otway, after Willie had yet again said no to the USA. And so Chris Burkett joined the Otway band and they boarded yet another jumbo to have another go. Back they came after another arduous tour to similar-sized audiences. I've got to get Willie out there, said Otway. It looks like that's the only way we're going to make it big. And so it was back together with Willie yet again. Madness were doing a UK tour, and Otway and Barrett were asked if they wanted to do the opening spot. It was a strange mixture of the Nutty Boys and the Nutters. But it was good for John and Willie to play in large venues again, and, with a few exceptions, the duo went down well. For this tour, they had some T-shirts printed with Otway Barrett, Reunion, Split, Reunion, Split, Reunion, Split, Reunion, Split, with all but the first four words crossed out. After the Madness tour, John and Willie were offered a spot on Radio 1 as guest artists on the Richard Skinner show. They were to do three numbers, as well as a few jingles. It was the start of a long saga that would give Otway his last near hit. <laughs> 